This morning, we are carrying on in our series in the book of Mark. And uh, I have been captivated in this series because of all of these interesting tests that Jesus continues to receive. Uh, a few weeks back, uh, I had the opportunity to speak on the test related to divorce. Uh, Kevin got to speak a couple weeks ago about kind of the test of the rich young ruler. Uh, and Ash Wednesday, we looked at another one, and we sit here today, this morning, with another moment in which Jesus is being tested. And as you can tell, the question is this, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We read the text a little earlier, I'm going to have us look at it again text says, they sent to him, being Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. I love the way that they talk him up. Teacher, we know that you are true. You do not care about anyone's opinion. You're never swayed by appearances. You always teach the way of God. They're just like continuing to heap it on. And so, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them? Now, this is reference to a Jewish law, or what would be referred to as the law of Moses. And clearly, everyone knows by Rome's standards, the answer is logically yes. If you don't pay the taxes, the tax man will come find you, right? The question really is be, that's being asked is this. Is it proper for a Jewish person to pay taxes? That was the kind of underlying question, and so the trap was set. And Jesus knows that if he says, man, absolutely, taxes are amazing, I love this, that everyone in the crowd that had been following him would be deeply disappointed by the answer. He also knows that if he was to say, no, there's no way you should pay taxes to Caesar, that he would likely be guilty of treason and would have to face Rome and the Rome authorities. And so he's caught in this trap. And so what Jesus does so masterfully is he sets a trap of his own. And he asks for a coin. The text says this, um, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now here's what's beautiful about this little test. By asking for one of the coins... He knows that he's trapping the very people that are asking him the question. Because to a Jewish person at the time, to have a denarius or to carry them was to be against Jewish law because they are against graven images. And on the coin is the image of a god, Caesar. And so Jewish people did not use that coin or did not operate with that currency, but with a different one. So simply they ask him that, and he goes, oh, how about you give me one? They quickly produce one, which shows the hypocrisy of the moment, right? He's kind of like a trap, I got you. And uh, so Jesus gets done, and it, the text says this, they brought him one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Or in another version, whose head is this, and whose title? Now, obviously... Everyone in Israel could have answered this question. So it's a pretty interesting question that he would ask it because he knows every single person, without a shadow of a doubt, knows who's on the coin, 
right? But due to biblical translation, we probably aren't picking up the subtlety of what Jesus is seeking to communicate. We might be actually missing the point, because here's what's asked. The word that you translate as head is better translated as icon, or in Greek language, maybe the idea of image. And the word title is better translated as likeness. So the question that Jesus is asking is, whose image and likeness is this? And the answer, obviously, is Caesar's, right? And so Jesus says to them, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And they marvel at him. But here's the interesting thing. Again, this translation might not be the best rendering of this as well because it would better be described or translated as give back. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's or give back to Caesar those things that are Caesar's. So in essence, what he's saying is, whose coin is it anyway? It's Caesar's. So just give back to Caesar what is already Caesar's. No big deal. He makes the giving of tax in that moment kind of irrelevant to the whole conversation. Because it's not yours to begin with. It's Caesar's. So just give it back to him. No big deal. Right? But here's the beautiful thing. And this is the punchline for Jesus. Give back to God what is God's. Now this moment, I would imagine the Pharisees, the Herodians, and maybe even ourselves are asking the question, well, what is that? What am I to give back? What percentage? What are the things that I owe to God? You might be doing the calculations of math in your head, like, well, if I give this, or if I give that, or if I, you, know, you might be trying to figure it out. And it's likely they were too. And in case you're still doing the math in your head, the key is the words Jesus used when he said, whose image and whose likeness. Because every single Jewish person at the time would have thought of this verse. And God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the principle is very simple. It is this. Just as the coin has Caesar's image on it, so it is Caesar's. And just as you and I have the icon or the image of God on us, the answer is simply that we are God's. So what percentage to give back? There's only one. A hundred. hundred percent. There's no division. No cutting out percentages. What Jesus is saying is, it's all. Just like the rich young ruler. How much? Give it all. How much of ourselves? 100%. So Jesus in that moment not only is saying, hey, look, the tax conversation, not really the point at all. It's already Caesar's. The us conversation, it's all of us. 100% of us. No percentages. All. This morning, that is our teaching. What I'd like to do is move into a little practice. I'm going to invite you into a spiritual exercise this morning, which helps us perhaps answer the question, what is it that God is asking of me in this moment? Because sometimes what we are tempted to do, I'll speak for myself, is we're tempted to hear a particular talk, 
could go, oh, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to God what is God's. Oh, that's really nice. Or maybe I learned something new about Roman law or something like that. And then we move on with the rest of life. And we don't really ask the question behind the question, which is, what is the Spirit asking of me in light of what the text is communicating? And so we're going to invite you into that space. And so what I would love for you to do would be to just kind of set everything off your lap if you have anything there. Find yourself in a comfortable spot. I think Kevin's going to lower the lights a little bit. I want you to sit in a comfortable position if you're able. Uh, if you'd prefer to move apart a little bit and find uh, space, feel free to do so. I want to invite you to take a couple deep breaths. And just see if you can, to the best of your ability, settle into this moment, settle into this space. I want you to, if you would, just invite the Spirit to be present with you. To remind yourself that even now, that the Spirit is within you and all around you. I want to just give you a moment to prepare a musical, kind of start in the background, and I want you to reflect for a moment on the current circumstances of your life. What are you experiencing? What are you going through? What are you thinking about? What have you been wrestling with? Let's just sit in that space for a moment. I'm going to ask you to set your hands on either your knees or your thighs or in your lap and just open your palms and face them upward. Just sit in that posture for a moment. I'm going to prompt you to do a few things and just for the sake of simplicity and ease, those will also be on the screen. Um, if you need to look at them or refer to them, we're going to try to settle into this for a little bit. There'll be four movements, four opportunities to reflect. This first one is just to continue to keep your palms facing upward. As you hold your palms up, I want you to allow the Spirit to draw your attention to the things you're holding on to. What are the things you're trying to control, but you can't? What are the people, the places, the plans that you're clinging to? What is taking priority in your life or consuming you? We're creating anxiety. I want you to just, with your palms open, just begin to 
recognize what are you clinging to? What are you holding on to? I'm going to invite you to flip your hands over with your palms down toward your thighs to your lap. You can raise your hands up if you want, a little bit higher off your lap. But I want you to imagine yourself dropping those things into the hands of God. Whatever it is you are clinging to, Whatever you acknowledge that is creating stress or anxiety, whatever it is you're clinging to, I want you to imagine or even practice letting that go. Thank God in this moment for caring for those people, those places, those plans, those priorities. Caring for them even more than you do. Take a moment and physically release those things. Maybe move your hands in a way that, that, that symbolizes for you that you are letting go. And in this moment, express trust in and gratitude for God as you relinquish those things. Now with empty hands, I invite you to flip over your hands again so that your palms are up. And I want you to allow the Spirit to draw your attention to what God wants to give to you. What does God want to gift you? What are the graces that God wants to pour out upon you? In this moment... What is the Lord asking you to receive? I'd encourage you to maybe focus on a sacred word or another idea as the Spirit brings it to your mind. Invite the Spirit to speak to you. And ask God to provide whatever it is you need. That might be God's joy peace, hope, whatever it is, name it and allow God and the Spirit of God to gift it to you.
I invite you to turn your palms down one more time. And I want to imagine yourself passing on those gifts to the community, to the city, to your neighbors, to those less fortunate, to the world. How is God inviting you to share the gifts and the resources that he has and that he will give you? This is the step we often forget, that we don't just receive the gift of God. We don't just receive the word or maybe an insight or some grace that is offered without then in turn being invited to give it away. But as we are filled, we fill others. And so I invite you to think through who might need your gift, how this community might benefit from your skills, your resources, your wisdom, your service, your love. Take a moment and reflect on this. Spirit, we believe you, we love you, we trust that you have and will continue to speak to us, that you'll continue to move in our midst, that even over these last few weeks, you have done amazing things among us. You've invited us to offer tears, to offer parts of who we are, and this morning, um, you invite us to render to God what is God's, all of ourselves. We're going to transition here in a moment to a time of communion. I just want to invite you as we kind of ease out of this exercise and into taking the elements. I would really encourage you that whatever word you received, whatever image, whatever instruction, whatever thing you're to give back, um, don't keep that just between you and God. I have found that over time, uh, maybe one of the things that hinders uh, community, experiencing the work of God, maybe even the thing that hinders ourselves from experiencing the work of God, is when God does something in us and then we just keep it for ourselves. That the very thing that you are encouraged with is often the thing that someone else needs to hear. I mean, even just this uh, last week, We were worshiping together, we were singing, and I was struck by the power of that song of God inviting us to find rest in Him. And someone came forward and prayed, and the very things they said in their prayer were the very things I needed to hear, right? 
because it wasn't probably a prayer for that person as much as they may have felt like it was. It might have been exactly a prayer for me. Maybe the thing that you heard, the thing that you're supposed to release, the thing you're supposed to give away, the thing you're supposed to feel, whatever it is, it might be for someone here, it might be for someone that you know, so I would encourage you, don't, don't hold on to it. Jot it down, speak it to someone else, and don't forget what it is that God might be saying to you. Jerusha's going to come in just a moment here, and let me pray. God, we, um, what we love about you is that uh, we can't control you as much as in religion we want to, and as much as we build theologies that try to declare to you who you are, rather than just letting us experience who you are, uh, I love the fact that you're not contained by any of it. You probably smile, a wry smile, and wonder when we'll stop being foolish enough to think we've figured you out. I love that to people who want to hear from you, you say, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And we believe you for that. We trust that you will. Not just speak to us in moments like this, but will continue to speak to us throughout the week. And as we enter into communion now, God, we offer up our whole selves. We render to you what is rightfully yours, that we've been created in the very image and likeness of you. So there is a sense of the divine in us, a holiness, a sacredness. And we, in communion, offer that back to you as you have demonstrated this beautiful picture of offering your very life for us. May we continue to hear from you in these next few moments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.